So we're up to our last week in, um, in our series on Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We sort of get back to where we started five weeks ago. It's a bit like that when we write letters, I reckon. You start off and you want to tell somebody something and and you go through that and you tell them some other things and you write a bit more and you write a bit more and, and you think you've just about had enough, you tend to go back to the start, write what you started telling them. So, and I guess that's possibly because they're the important things and um, you want that you want to tell somebody. So, Paul, we get back to the start of, of um, the Philippians. And so this week, Paul concludes his letter to the Philippian church with sort of what looks a little bit like on first reading a bit of a random um, selection of instructions and greetings. But at the heart of the passage, Paul's urging these Christians to continue to stand firm in their faith in Jesus and work together for the sake of the gospel. All of the final things he talks about relate to a partnership in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give it to us so that we can learn more about you. Father, uh, this morning help us to open our hearts and our minds to what you would have us hear. And Lord, uh, help me to be clear in in what I'm about to say. Father, um, and help us learn together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And the gospel's at the centre of everything that Paul wants to say today. It's because of the gospel that Paul wants the church to work together in practical ways. And you and I, no matter who we are, we're shaped by the work that we do and the people we hang around with. Now, 25 years ago, a mate and I went up to the Northern Territory and we worked on a cattle station up in the Kimberley cattle country. And there was a few other, there was half a dozen ringers on the cattle camp. And we did everything together as ringers. We spent all our life together pretty well. We lived in the stock camps, we mustered wild cattle, we worked them in the yards, we wore cowboy hats and boots, we slept in swags every night, we read Larry and Stretch Western comics, we swore all the time, we said A at the every end of every sentence, A. We called steel fence post pickets, we called a damper a sod, and we ate beef, three meals a day. And we rode rough horses and we worked cattle nearly every day. And we were rough and tough ringers from the Northern Territory. And when we went to town, everyone could tell who we were. We were shaped by the work that we did and the people we hung around with. Every practical area of our lives, everything we did was about one thing. It was about being ringers and about running the cattle station. And today's talk is about our practical lives being focused on one thing, on the gospel. If we're Christians, we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. We belong to the church, the fellowship of believers. We meet together to praise and worship our Heavenly Father. We read and we study the Bible. We build each other up in our faith. We are shaped by the gospel. We proclaim the gospel and we work together in partnership for the gospel. Paul concludes his letter to the Philippians by encouraging the church to be shaped by the gospel and their partnership in it. The gospel was to shape their relationships as they partner with each other, their fellow Christians, with the church and with God. The gospel was to give them focus and purpose and identity. It was to shape their lives. And our passage begins with a disagreement. Point one on your outline. 
In verse 2 we read, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Disagreements cause us to lose focus and get sidetracked. They destroy relationships and they take our minds and energy away from the main issue. And that's what Paul's concerned about here. We don't know much about the two women that he mentions or what the disagreement's about, but we can consider it an important enough matter for Paul to mention it in his letter. And it's a bit juicy too, isn't it, eh? A couple of women having a blue. It's always something to quicken the pulse and get the tongues wagging, especially in church. But it's not the way we're meant to relate to each other. Disagreements are unpleasant and they're often pretty ugly as well. Can you remember back to the Athens Olympics? That's the 2004 ones, not the ones before that. And that amazing incident in the final of the women's eight in the rowing regatta. The highlight of any rowing regatta is the eight. Now the Aussie girls weren't expected to win. They were good, but they weren't that good. But they got stuck in and they were having a red hot go. And they were powering on and they were putting a fair bit of pressure on the main contenders. And about three quarters of the way through the race, when things were looking promising for the Aussie eight, Sally Robbins lay down in the middle of the boat. Now she, she rode in the middle, she was one of the big power girls, but she couldn't continue and she lay down exhausted. And this, the other seven girls had to stop rowing as well. So any hope of winning gold or any other medals disappeared at that moment. And remember the scenes that followed that day and the days after. Sally's teammates and their families abused her. Sally's family responded in her defence. The coach attacked her actions and inflamed her teammates in their abuse. One former international rower wrote an open letter attacking Sally Robbins. Others came to the poor girl's defence and argued that at the time several of Robbins' crew members were also in distress and losing their rhythm. The chairman of Rowing Australia slammed the frenzy surrounding Robbins' performance, saying it reminded him of the treatment Lindy Chamberlain received more than two decades before. The arguments were spectacular. They were personal and they were bitter. They were divisive and of course they were all over the media. But most important, they were unhelpful to the sport of rowing. Who would want to follow a sport where the competitors, coaches and supporters are arguing and attacking each other? And this is what Paul is urging the Philippian church to avoid. Arguing within the church is also unhelpful for the gospel. He urges the two women to agree with each other in the Lord. The women have been fellow workers with him in the gospel and Paul acknowledges that the disagreement is not helpful to the gospel. How attractive can the gospel be if those who proclaim it are arguing with each other? It's important to see how Paul wants the issue to be dealt with as well. He doesn't request the church to discipline the women or throw them out of the church or stone them. He urges the church to help them. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. He reminds them of the fellowship they have as fellow workers in the gospel. The gospel itself shapes how they are to relate to each other as members of the church. And how about you sitting here in morning church this morning? Are you content to let arguments simmer along? Is there someone in the church that you've had a disagreement with and just won't let it go? If you are, do you realise that this is unhelpful to the gospel? 
If you are, you need to put it aside and move on. Focus on more important things. Paul was wanting the Philippians to get over their arguments and move on. Point two in your outline. The way that they were to deal with arguments and the other threats that Charlie explained to us last week was to keep their focus on Jesus. Verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how is the Philippian church to respond to the gospel of Jesus? Firstly, rejoice. Be joyful. Rejoice in the good news for those who believe. Rejoice in the Lord always. The message of the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, is the best news there is. Paul says rejoice. Rejoice in what Jesus has done on the cross and what he continues to do for those who followed him. But more than that, be gentle. Follow Jesus' example. Let others see that there is a difference in those that believe in the gospel of Jesus. Now this would have been quite different to the attitude of many at the time, of course. The Romans still ruled with an iron fist. Battles and violence and persecution were part of daily life. The many Jews still believed that a physical struggle was the way to reclaim the world for God's chosen people. But Jesus had shown them a different way. Jesus was a man of action, but not of violence. He had won the victory himself by dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. And the Holy Spirit would work in the believers to lead them to gentleness as one of the fruits of the Spirit. The gospel victory would not be won with violence. Not then and not now. And most importantly, Paul urges the Philippians to pray. He says, in everything, present your requests to God. Talk to God. Bring your needs to him. Focus on him. Do everything in the Lord. By bringing their needs and concerns to God, the church would remain united in Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't say that God will meet all the needs that they bring to him, but that he will guard against their worries and their anxiety. So what do you do when you're worried about things? Do you get anxious? Do you get stressed? Do you get cranky? Do you forget about God and focus on your worries it's easy to do isn't it or do you pray do you take time to talk to God present your request to him do you let God guard against your worries and anxiety you and I can't be good partners in the gospel unless we rejoice we be gentle and we continue to pray to God Paul urges the Philippians to put this faith into action in their daily lives. In verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the peace of God will be with you. We're at point three on your outline. Faith in the gospel of Jesus was to shape the way the Philippians thought about things. 
Paul urges them to think about things that were true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Well, who or what would these attributes apply to? A mountain? Flower? Painting? Building? Maybe. These attributes can only be applied to the things of this world if we consider them in the light of the one who makes it all possible. These attributes describe the true living God, Jesus Christ. Jesus is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Yes, he's all of these things. If the Philippians were to allow the gospel to work in them, if they thought of things from a Jesus perspective, it would shape the way they thought about shaped the way they thought and the things they thought about. Think about the opposites for a minute. False, shameful, wrong, tainted, ugly, unworthy, plain, blameworthy. Those words certainly don't describe Jesus. They don't describe the gospel either. Thinking in these sorts of negative and destructive terms can only end in a bitter, twisted and tainted view of the world. This sort of thinking surely would not help build partnerships in the gospel. And faith in the gospel of Jesus was to shape how the Philippians acted as well. And Paul, of course, had set the example of one who had been shaped by the gospel. And he urged the Philippians to follow his example. Whatever you have learnt or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Now, Paul was a great teacher, one of the greatest teachers. But he was not the uh, do-what-I-say, but he was the do-what-I-do type. He had set the example for the Philippians that had been set for him by Jesus. Now, it's our turn. It's up to you and I to continue to follow that example. What sort of things do you think about? Do you think about things that are true, noble and right, etc.? Or do you let yourself get sidetracked and miserable and think about things that are false and shameful and wrong and so on? What sort of music and videos and TV do you have on at your place? What sort of books and magazines do you read? These things determine what you think about. And of course, what you think about determines how you act. Make sure what you think about and the way you act is helpful to the gospel. Now, Paul goes on to thank the Philippians for their support in this gospel work and to encourage them in this work. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. We're at point four. Paul appreciates the Philippians' concerns for himself. He appreciates their gifts, and importantly, he appreciates their contribution to the gospel because that was the point of their support. It wasn't to make sure that Paul was well-fed and he was happy, not at all. It was to make sure that the gospel was being proclaimed. Paul says that he can be happy in any and every situation. 
what the Philippian support meant to him was that it was continued support for the gospel. And he goes on to point out that he does not look for gifts for himself because his needs are met through Jesus. Verse 14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And may God and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Proclaiming the gospel is a big job. It's a big world and there's lots of people to reach. And that was so even in the days of the early Philippian church. The church needs to work together to get the job done, which is true of any big task of major importance. Strategic alliances and cooperation between all players is essential. Take land care, for example. You know the, the land care with the hands around Australia and that shape? Well, the National Land Care Program, which began in about 1990, is a great example of cooperation between, between two key organisations. The National Farmers Federation and the Australian Conservation Foundation had traditionally been at loggerheads, political opponents, if you like, at different ends of the spectrum. But in 1990, they put a joint submission up to the federal government, basically aiming to ensure that Australia's agricultural and pastoral lands were used within their capability by the year 2000 and then continued beyond that. In their view, the time was right for a major cooperative effort to move towards sustainable land use. And these two key organisations, which had been at opposite ends of the spectrum, formed a critical partnership for an important cause. And the phenomenal success of the land care movement would not have happened without the partnership of these key players and the commitment and enthusiasm of thousands and thousands of individuals. And all the practical things that fell out of that program. All of the property plans and catchment plans that were drawn up and put into action all of the billions of trees that have planted and continue to be planted, all of the soil conservation projects that were put into action, all of the wetland restoration projects, all of these practical on-ground things that made a big difference. There are hundreds of land care groups, school groups and community groups that were formed to do a lot of these good works. The projects they were involved in and continue to be involved in were practical ways of putting land care into action. And importantly it created a greater awareness throughout Australia of the importance of these environmental issues and how we as a community can manage and overcome these things. Now, the importance of proclaiming the gospel is not much different to that in some ways. It's important and critical work. It needs to reach all people and it must be done in partnership. Paul acknowledges the help of the Philippian church in this gospel work. It was the Philippians' commitment to the cause of the gospel that sustained Paul in the early days and continues to sustain him now. Such partnerships are critical. For us at DPC Morning Church, it's important that we continue to be partners in gospel work within our church, gospel work in our town and our region, gospel work across our country. 
and gospel work around the world. But it's no good just agreeing with that or thinking it's a great idea. We need to get stuck in and actively contribute to these things. And there's many practical ways we can do this. We can support full-time missionaries, such as the Applebys, the Lukenses and the Parkers, Karen Laird. We can support local missions, such as Golden Years or School Scripture. We can support regional gospel initiatives, like the, the Youth Convention going on today. And we can support things within our own church. Things like CLAG, things like being on the roster, things like Sunday school, and important things like looking after one another, building one another up. So what are you doing about all these things? What's your contribution to the partnership? Who are you practically partnering with? And how are you being a good partner? Are you contributing some money to gospel work? Are you putting your hand up when there's a job to do? Are you visiting others? Are you helping out? Are you supporting those in need? Are you praying for others? What is your commitment to the gospel partnership? And Paul wraps up his letter with final greetings. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul acknowledges the fellowship with others in the church. They are his brothers in Christ. This fellowship is an encouragement to continue to work together in their partnership in the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that is at the centre of everything the church does. And that's no different for us today. We embrace the same saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We submit to the one true living God. We have the promise of eternal life in him. And we are brothers and sisters. Our fellowship is in Jesus and in his gospel. And we have something far greater than any plans or programs to fix land degradation and environmental issues. We actually worship the creator and sustainer of the universe. We have the task of working together to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And this gospel brings us together. It gives us unity, it gives us focus and purpose and it gives us the promise of new life in Christ Jesus. Today and every day, we must let the gospel shape the way we relate to one another, the way we work together and build up the church, the partnerships that we have. And we must continue to proclaim this very gospel that shapes the way we live because there's no greater message that the world needs to hear today than the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. As God patiently waits for those who have ignored him to turn back to him, we must reach out to them with the good news of grace and salvation. There can be no better reason for us to work together in partnership in these end days as we wait for Jesus to return. No greater reason to put aside selfish agendas and motivation. No greater reason to cease arguing with others, if that's the case. No greater reason to rejoice in all that God has given us. No greater reason to continue to take our request to God in prayer. No greater reason to think and act in manner worthy of the gospel. No greater reason to be content in every situation as we are strengthened by God. No greater reason to continue to build partnerships with others who are involved in gospel work, wherever they may be. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it continue to shape our lives. All of life and all of our lives.